You're listening to Know Your Rights with Ellen Firestone. What's going on, guys? Greg here alongside Ellen Firestone for a very special podcast of Know Your Rights. And this podcast is in honor of the 70th anniversary of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And I'll let Ellen tell you a little bit about why this is so special. Thanks, Greg. Um, Well, today I just want to give a, a brief history of the Declaration, which was born out of the horrific events that led up to and through World War II. Prior to the adoption of the document, there was a drafting committee that was established made up of eight UN member countries. Those countries were the United States, Chile, France, the Soviet Union, the United Kingdom, Australia, Lebanon, and China. This committee worked for about two years till the declaration was finally adopted on December 10th, 1948. Today, I have on the phone with us a very special friend, who was in the room at the time of this very significant historic event for our world, Mrs. Ella Torrey. On December 10th, 1948, Ella was a 23-year-old journalist for the Chicago Tribune working in Paris, France, and was in the room at the Palais de Shiloh the night the Universal Declaration of Human Rights was adopted by the UN General Assembly. Ella, thank you so much for being with us today. I'm delighted to be here. Wonderful. So tell us, what was it like in the room the night the Declaration was adopted? It was extraordinary because all I can say is it was at 3 o'clock in the morning on December 10th, 1948, 3 a.m. and in Paris, right there, and they were at 3 o'clock in the morning, they, they voted and they approved Universal Declaration of Human Rights unanimously. Now, the unanimously meant that there were actually 56 nations there. There were eight abstentions. Now, abstention means that they didn't want to vote. They didn't vote yes or no, but there, there are things in the declaration they didn't want to vote for. So actually, 48 nations voted for it that night at 3 o'clock in the morning. Now, the eight abstentions included the Soviet Union and its five satellite countries that opposed the rights of refugees to have different homes, that they didn't have to go to their, back to their own homes, which is what they wanted them to do. That was the, their point. The Saudi Arabians objected to the articles in the Declaration, which said people could change their religions. They did not approve of that. <clears throat> and the South Africans disapproved of the rules that said uh, laws that could make people live in one place or another. In other words, the laws of apartheid, which were prevalent in the South Africa of today. So that's what they did. That's what they passed. And when they finished, a couple of people began standing up, and then more people stood up, and more people stood up. And they gave Mrs. Eleanor Roosevelt, the 64-year-old, 5-foot, 11-and-a-half American delegate, a standing ovation for all the work she had done for the Human Rights Declaration and uh, she walked up slowly to the podium, thanking people on the way. And many people said she is truly what President Truman called her, the first lady of the world. Wow, what a title. So, Ella, after that night then, um, or you had told me the, the following year, actually, then you, you returned to the United States and applied for a position with the, the U.S. mission to the United Nations and then were assigned to be the public information officer to Eleanor Roosevelt. That's exactly right. I was assigned to Mrs. Eleanor Roosevelt as a public information officer, 
And at first I thought it was going to be like working for my grandmother, and I had some pretty smart grandmothers, but she was a, <laughs> an amazing woman. She was probably, she worked harder than anybody I have ever worked for. She uh, knew what she was doing. She was, for example, when she, and she planned, she programmed things. When she was going to debate Andrei Vashinsky, the Russian lawyer who was a brilliant man, and she knew he was going to ask her questions about various things that they were proposing, she would have a State Department person come up from Washington to the U.S. mission office, her office at the mission office, which is right across from the United Nations in New York City, and she would have this State Department person sit there and give Vashinsky's arguments, and then she would think what she was going to answer back, and she would plan it very, very carefully, which is exactly how she did everything. She worked incredibly hard in all, all times, but she also had, I always would tell people, she also had a very good sense of humor. And when she would go to many of these meetings with the U.N. delegates, uh, the delegates would say, oh, Mrs. Roosevelt, our meetings are too long, they're, they're too long, they're too long, and they're just more than we can all stand. And she would say very quietly to them, smile on her face, if you want shorter meetings, make shorter speeches. <laughs> she was very good about that. So that so that's 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 what it was like working for her. Wow. She was amazing. So what are some of the types of things that Eleanor Roosevelt did to to promote human rights after this this document, you know, was adopted in the early years of the universal human rights? Yeah. Well, one of the things she did, which I was always I say as a delegate to the United Nations from the United States, she had to many times have lunch with other delegates. And they would do business and various things and be, get to know each other. But if she didn't have to have lunch with a delegate's dining room, in the delegate's dining room, she would say to me, Ella, let's head for the U.N. cafeteria. Carry, we'd get to the cafeteria. She'd carry her own tray. We would sit down with elevator operators, cleaning ladies, secretaries, workers in, in the U.N. building, and uh, some of the drivers of the cars. And we would work with them, and she would talk to them about what they believed in, what they hoped for, how their jobs were going. And this was one of the first things, and she always told me that her husband, Franklin, had taught her how to reach out to other people that she normally wouldn't, wouldn't see in the course of the day or meet with. So this was the first thing I think she did to promote human rights. But then she also was very strong on several of, several of the articles. Uh, she was particularly interested in the equal pay for equal work. Eleanor Roosevelt made over 150 speeches a year for the U.N., for, for on the U.N., many of them free. She didn't charge anything. But occasionally she was offered pay for a speech, and she would always make sure she was being offered the same rate that a man was being offered because she said until women received the same equal pay for equal work, women would always be second-class citizens. And she very strongly supported the uh, U.N. article, which said they're equal pay for equal work. Yes, and so, this, so she was very strong about that. Ellen, she was a very, very strong supporter of education because education had meant so much to her. I once asked her, we were driving back from a reception late, somewhat late at night, and I said, what was your greatest accomplishment in your life? What would you look think of? thinking she'd say the Declaration of Human Rights or something. She said, making the first hockey team at my English boarding school, <laughs> I was simply stunned. And then I began to, I got to know her a little bit more, and she was a very lonely teenager. Her mother and father were both dead, 
and her grandmother sent her to a boarding school in England where she lived with other girls and had a wonderful relationship with the headmistress. She got to know other people. She learned, uh, she learned a lot about England. She learned about Europe. And she, she suddenly got to be part of, part of a world and part of an education, and she tried out for the hockey team, and she made the first hockey team. I don't know how good it was, but it was a good hockey team for her. And I think that always was one of the reasons she strongly supported that the education was equal for everybody. Everybody should have a a good education. Mm -hmm. And that's still one of the rights of the, the Human Rights Declaration, that there are a lot of people who think out of 8 billion people in the world, there are millions of people who could neither read nor write. That's Still true. Today. Yeah, so that was one of the things, that, two of the things that she supported very, very strongly. And Ella, I know uh, throughout your career, you know, you did a lot of work, obviously with Eleanor and on your own supporting human rights. And I'm just wondering your viewpoint, your thoughts today on what you think here in 2018 are the, the most important actions that we can still take right now. I think for one thing, we have to all take a look at the 30 articles in the Declaration. And one of the ways that I think that we should talk about that is that how you can get hold of some of these, uh, some of the organizations that you and I know about, like Youth for Human Rights International that you know about. I think we have to support human rights, and but I think we have to know what we're doing. We have to know the articles. We have to know what's in there. And they're fascinating. Most people don't know more than two or three of the articles. But the articles are cover an enormous number of the uh, problems of the world and the hopes of the world. And I think we have to work on the articles individually. That's true, yes. And, uh, you know, one of the, the reasons for this entire podcast series is so that people do become aware of their human rights and know their rights. Because you have to know them before you can take some action. Absolutely. And um, so that, that was why I was kind of wondering your, your viewpoint on what, what people still can do today. And obviously these rights are as relevant today as they were 70 years ago. Absolutely, absolutely. And there are many of the rights like refugee rights and education rights and slavery. I mean, there's still slavery. There's still many things that are happening that uh, are in the rights that we have, we have not yet achieved and we have to work for. And I think one of the things we have to do is as Eleanor Roosevelt went out to the small luncheons at the U- with UN workers, I think we have to learn to reach out as students, as people. We have to learn to reach out to our schools, to our neighborhoods, to our state, to our country, and to the world. But I think we have to support the um, efforts by other organizations like the United Nations Association and others who are trying to help uh, promote human rights in the Declaration. I know you and I had talked, you know, one of the things is people could reach out to their local United Nations Association chapter or right. or organizations um, like Global Education Motivators or or even, you know, Youth for Human Rights, who who does provide educational materials at no cost to teachers right. and others who want to educate people on human rights. So there are plenty of things that we can do. But also, I know you had mentioned to me about what Eleanor used to say about being an example yourself and being a role yeah. model yourself for peace and tolerance. She used to always say, it is not enough to talk about peace and human rights. You must live it every day of your life. And I think she was absolutely right. You must live it. You must live it with the people you are with. You must promote it. But the important thing is, you must. it is not enough to just talk about it. What we have to do is to live it. That is very true. Yes, absolutely. And I think that is one of the things that we we have to feel that now there were 56 countries in the United Nations when Eleanor Roosevelt 
was given her standing ovation, and today there are 193 nations in the United Nations. Yes. So there are lots of, lots of places you can start working. That is true. There's plenty <laughs> of work to be done. There's plenty of work to be done, and, and I think there, there, there are over 3,000 non-governmental organizations like Global, Global Education Motivators yes. at Chester Hill College, like of the, for the Youth for International, uh, for the International Human Rights. I think there are so many wonderful groups, and there are a great many organizations that, that can help all of us help the world become a place where the Universal Declaration of Human Rights becomes a true universal declaration. That is very true, Ella. Thank you so much for talking with us today. And I would Thank just, you, Ellen. Okay. I would just like to end with a quote by Eleanor that I recently read in a book called Leadership in Turbulent Times um, by Doris Cairns Goodwin, uh, where Eleanor said, the surest way to be happy is to seek happiness for others. So here's to everyone's happiness. And um, again, thanks, Ella, for, for doing this special podcast with us. Okay, thank you. It's been a great pleasure, and I wish you all the best, the best of luck. Thank you, Ella. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And a special thank you to our sponsor, Simon Eye Associates, providing eye care for life to our local communities. You can find more great podcasts at bpodstudios.com. The place to be for podcast discovery, bpodstudios.com. Thanks, guys. Talk to you again soon.